How's everybody feeling? Let's see if I can work this this time. Ah, first shot. Everybody ready for Christmas? Hmm. Is anybody ready for Christmas? Does anybody know that it's Christmas time? Okay. <laughs> uh, so I, I want to talk uh, this morning. Um, let's see. How do I want to do this? I'm going to do it a little bit different than I did at the first service. So we're familiar with the nativity scene, right? So I just want you to look at that for a minute, the nativity scene. You've got baby Jesus there, white, blonde hair. He's European Jesus. Uh, but we, we see these paintings, we see these Christmas cards, whatever, with the glowing uh, face and the light shining down. And, and we feel so, you know, depending on what our Christmas was like, maybe as a child growing up or whatever, we get this feeling of nostalgia and whatever. And for us as Christians, this kind of an image about Christmas is embedded in our thinking, is it not? So I just want you to hold that in your mind because we're going to come back to it. But before we go there, I want to quote for you one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, and I'm sure it's a favorite for many of you as well. And I like, there's, there's different variations of it in the different translations, and I like the NIV translation of this, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future, Jeremiah 29 11. How many of you know this verse? So for many of us, and this is a popular verse, and for many of us, and I can speak uh, for myself in particular, this verse has been very meaningful for me, and there are probably a number of verses that I would say are life verses for me, but this certainly is one of my life verses. Uh, so we do a lot of great things with this. This preach is great, especially at the beginning of every new year, right? When we get around to this time or start looking into the new year, it's a great encouragement for us. Uh, and we can, people have just done a lot of things with this over the years, correct? So when I, you know, got radical, I mean, I, I got radically, you know, I was radical from the beginning. I really was. Uh, but I became more radical and got into what we is commonly called the Word of Faith movement. And I was very into the Word of Faith movement. And, uh, and this would be one of the verses that we would use when we would be talking about uh, prosperity and good things happening for us. And, and God has a plan and things of this nature, right? And so I've preached on this verse a lot, and it's been very meaningful to me. But also, I, I, when, when I was in the faith movement, I would hear these preachers, and they would talk about, you know, they would stand up and say, no matter what the circumstances, I'm always on top. No matter what the circumstances, I have the victory, right? Uh, because this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And so uh, you kind of get this idea that you're going to prosper, and if you have favor from God, everything is going to work out for you. And seriously, one of the things that these uh, guys that taught me emphasized, and national preachers, so I know some of you heard it as well, uh, was, you know, if you, if you stand on the word, you can catch your fish, uh, you can go out and get your full limit of fish. How many of you heard that one? Charles Capps was famous for saying that one. Uh, but one of my favorite ones was getting your parking space. How many of you uh, remember anything like that? If you just, okay, one person. So I'm, t- I'm talking to myself. But anyway, so there's this idea that if you're favored, if you're, if you're trusting the Lord, you can even believe God for the right parking space. 
And so we're going to Walmart and we get this, this front space parking during Christmas time when everything's crazy. And we say, I'm favored of God because I got my parking space. Or you get in the line, right? You get in the, the line, uh, and, and it's long line and the guy's stalled, uh, cause, you know, they can't find the price tag or something or they gotta do a price check or something. And so then just at the right moment, the next checker comes in and says, I'll take you over here. And, you, and, and you're like at the end of the line. There's like two people in front of you, but, but she can only see you. So she says, I'll take you over here. And so you walk over there and you think, I'm favored of God. Maybe I'm talking to the wrong group today. I don't know. But, but, but one of the things they would also say is they would say, I'm always on top. I always have the victory. I uh, never have a blue Monday. I never have a black Tuesday or, a, you know, just never. And so I thought, you know, if I'm going to be a man of faith and power, if I'm going to preach this stuff, then I have to be on top of the world all the time. My problem is that's not my temperament. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Uh, I've had a lot of blue Mondays. I've had a lot of Black Tuesdays and rainy Fridays and I don't have Black Fridays, I have Red Fridays because my money's going the wrong direction. There was a Word of Faith preacher, Leroy Thompson, came out with a a book, Money Cometh. Mine was Money Goeth. If you're still ingrained in that, you would say, you shouldn't shouldn't talk like that, you're causing that because you're talking like that. Am I talking to the right group? And so I had this contradiction, but I've got to be honest with you. You know, I've gone through disappointments in life. If I, if I think about it, my life, I've, I've gone through uh, a number of setbacks. I've gone through a number of disappointments. I've experienced losing everything. Uh, I mean, literally um, losing everything. Uh, we've experienced death of, you know, people in our family, people close to us. I've lost really, really close friends. Uh, I've just gone through a number of setbacks. And then I kind of have this temperament, maybe, that, that doesn't always try to look at the positive side of things. And so I've had a number of days where the only thing that got me out of bed was this verse. The only thing that got me up, the only thing that got me going in the morning was God has a plan for my life. God has a good plan for my life. God has a plan to prosper me. God has a plan for my future and my hope. And my tomorrow is going to be better than today. And so I I got real good at, at different seasons in my life at encouraging myself in the Lord. Because how many know sometimes not everybody's going to encourage you? Not everybody's going to celebrate you. Not everybody's going to agree with you. And so sometimes, and it's good to have encouragers in our life, and we need that, but sometimes you have to just be able to encourage yourself. And so I would grab hold of this verse, and I would begin to encourage myself because I knew, wait, wait, Mike, because I knew that God had a plan for my life. I got confused on my slides, sorry. Um, So I'm going to back up, maybe, maybe not. There we go. Um, so, but, but there's this contradiction, right? So I'm just trying to say this is a really positive verse. Because in a minute I'm going to do something with it that might be disappointing. But hopefully we'll get you encouraged. We're, we're in a, it's kind of a different kind of series of messages that we're doing. Uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the beauty of imperfection. And how we can really mess up our happiness if we're expecting things to be perfect. And if we focus on what's not perfect in our life, we can end up messing things up. Right? And so we have to learn how to enjoy and how to celebrate the beauty of what's not perfect. Right? 
And then last week we talked about demanding from life to do stuff for us. And, and life isn't our servant. And life doesn't always perform for us like we want to, but like we want it to. But in the midst of all of that, there's blessing and there's joy and there's abundance, right? And so I want to talk a little bit more about that today. But I want to start out by saying that, you know, kind of this idea that God has a plan for our life and that everything is going to prosper for us kind of can give us this kind of Christianity. Watch this. Awesome. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of uh, how our life's supposed to be like, right? Because, I mean, God has a plan, right? But what about when everything isn't awesome? Then, then what do we do? What do we do when, when everything isn't awesome? You know, what, what do we do when we don't get the parking place or... Uh, the favored place in line or worse, lots worse stuff begins to happen in our life. Does that mean that we've missed the plan of God for our life? Does that mean that we don't have faith? 
Does that mean that we've sinned and caused, grieved the Holy Spirit and done something wrong and caused something to happen? What, what does it mean to us when everything isn't awesome? And is it even really, really, really realistic to think that everything is going to be awesome? So let's just think about a Christmas story um, for a minute. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right, now, surely if God had a plan, we know he had a plan for Jesus. Surely. Now, I know God has a plan for me. And by faith, I know God has a plan for you. <laughs> Some people really, it's by faith. You know, some, sometimes people get themselves in really t- tough, tough, tough situations and life is just tough for them. And you just look at them and you just by faith, you say, you know what? The Bible says God has a plan for you to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. Right. But surely if God had a plan for anybody, he had a plan for Jesus. And we know this is true because the Bible, I mean, certainly tells us that it was God's plan of the ages. Did you know that? That, 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 that the, what happened with Christ was the mystery and the plan that was hidden in God from the foundation of the world, the Apostle Paul tells us. And there are all kinds of scriptures in the Bible where God foretold the things that were going to happen. He even foretold the birth of Jesus. He even foretold that Jesus would be born of a virgin. Now, I know God has a plan for my life, but I can't find my birth in the scriptures. I can't take any, no matter how much I twist the scriptures and try to take them out of context and make them fit, I can't find Pueblo, Colorado, however many trips around the sun it's been for me now, and, and all that, you know. So, I mean, God, God had a plan, right? God sent an angel to Mary and said, Mary, you are blessed and highly favored of God. And you're going to give birth to a son. And so I got to thinking about this and I got to think, you know, God, in your plan, surely you should have thought about the end. Because they go, they go to, to give birth, which this isn't the best time. This isn't the best time anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about this. This isn't the best time because, because David, or David, I'm sorry, he's from the house of David, Joseph and Mary have to travel to Bethlehem away from their home, right? Because there is a census and they have to take part in the census because it's part of the whole Roman oppression, Roman occupation, Roman taxation system, which the Jews hated, right? I mean, you think you despise the IRS? Uh, you're in good company, right? So, and, and, and actually the Holy Spirit like caused this thing. Like, you know, like I'm assuming, even though Jesus was born of a virgin, that there was a nine month gestation period in the womb of Mary. Right. Right. So couldn't the Holy Spirit done a little bit better family planning, you know, to make sure that the birth didn't land at this particular time when they had to travel uh, because of taxation. And surely, if nothing else, he would have thought about the inn. I mean, if he thought about my parking space at Walmart i got to believe this woman that was blessed and highly favored, he had to think about the inn. But they show up, and there's no room at the inn. And so they end up in a stable. And they end up putting Jesus in a manger. Now I know there's all kinds of wonderful theological types and shadows there, because a manger is a feeding trough, and the name Bethlehem means the house of bread. And so we can talk about Jesus, who is the bread of life, who is born in Bethlehem, and, and maybe the manger somehow is a sign that he was there to feed the world. But maybe it wasn't a sign. Maybe it's just 
No room at the end. Maybe it's no more complicated than that. And here's the thing about mangers. Whatever comes in, because a manger is a feeding trough, right? Now, I don't know how many of you grew up around livestock. We raised uh, a number of livestock. I grew up with horses and, and at one point pigs and around cows and just all that stuff. And, and, and when whatever comes in has to come out. And we didn't see that on our Christmas card. We see the light from heaven. We see Joseph and Mary happy. We see the little thing around Jesus. We don't see the poo-poo. I mean, you're giving birth to your... Okay, ladies, come on, let's just be real. You're giving birth to your kid in a pile of crap. I mean, we're not talking exactly, you know, like in these day and age, it's like everything's sterile and you don't bring your kids into public for 30 days or whatever for the first month while their immune system's building. And we make sure everybody's got the, you know, the hand pump stuff. Uh, we're handing, you want to hold my baby here, you know, purify your hands first. Let me smell your breath. Let me make sure you're not sneezing, whatever. Okay, you're safe. Here you go. Especially millennials. They're, they're especially protective and aware of these kinds of things, right? And so here's Mary in a very, un, un, I want to say unstable environment, but that would be, that would not exactly be correct. And, and so, I mean, just come on with me. Now, now, this does not look like prospering to me. This does not look like favor to me. This looks like God kind of messed something up. I mean, if I'm, if I'm Joseph, you know, I wasn't even there when the angel showed up. <laughs> I, was, I mean, think about it. She's pregnant. Yeah, sure it was the Holy Ghost. I mean, how would you like to try and pull that one off? And so here you are with your pregnant virgin wife. <laughs> Right? And you, and you gotta go pay your taxes anyway, so you're not happy. It's April 15th. You're not happy. You're, you're paying your taxes, you go to the inn, and they have no room in the inn, and you're thinking, come on, God. And so here you are in a stinky stable, and here's your wife, and here's your child. And so, you know, it's kinda silly maybe, and kinda simple, but what do we do? How do we react? How do we respond? What do we think about God's plan? If God, if God didn't plan this all out to the most minute detail to make it comfortable for his favored family, then why do we think that everything in our life is going to be under meticulous control of God to make sure everything turns out the way we think it should so we can be happy? Leonard Sweet, um, he's written a number of books. He's a Methodist. He is uh, a seminary professor. I know in our movement we like to make fun of that because we somehow think God has a premium on ignorance. He's a scholar, but he's also a spirit-filled, conservative, evangelical mystic. And he says that the modern church has a case of versitis because what we do is we just take verses and try to build our life on verses, and we take them out of context. And, you know, there can be really bad misunderstandings when something is taken out of its context, out of its cultural context, out of its setting. In other words, what we do with Jeremiah 29.11 is we take it out of its setting. 
We take it out of its setting. And when you take something out of its setting, you can really misunderstand. Let me give you an example. When I was in Africa this last time, I was with my friend Francis Kenyinge, and we're just sitting around. There's another pastor that he had brought to introduce to me, and we're sitting there having a nice meal together, sharing a nice meal, and I'm out of my context, completely out of my context. I really, it was a good experience for me because it's the first time I went by myself and I really began to understand, maybe on a very, very small level, began to understand what it's like to be a minority because it was just unnerving, not because I didn't feel safe or it's just the difference. You notice the difference. It was just unsettling to me in some respects to be the only white person I was seeing. And it was, it was interesting how much I stood out to people, right? And to kids and, and different things. And so it just gave me a little bit of different perspective because I was out of my setting. And so we're talking and, and Pastor Francis says, you know, Aaron, he says, now I just want to tell you something. When you're out, if you're out on the street and a hooker approaches you, I just want you to know they will, they will try to charge you too much. Because you are a Mzungu, you are, and that's Swahili for white person. And so they automatically assume you have more money than everybody else. And so when they approach you, they're going to approach you with a price that is too high. Now, now what are we talking about again here? <laughs> when a hooker approaches you. I said, I said a hooker, yes. He said, if, if, I'm just telling you, if a hooker approaches you, and these were his exact words, I promise you, his exact words, and you see something you like, just know they're going to come in about double what you ought to pay. So if they're, if they're asking for 500 shillings, you don't pay more than 200 shillings. And you just, you got to learn how to negotiate with them because otherwise you're going to end up paying too much. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, you know, Pastor, I mean, because Pastor Francis, he's gotten successful now. He's got like 2,000 people in his church. He's big man in his town. And, you know, when I first met him, he wasn't that. And so sometimes success can go to your head, you know, and you get in trouble and you start thinking things are okay that aren't okay or whatever. And so I'm sitting here thinking, wow, you know, maybe something's really changed here. And, and, and so finally, you know, I'm like, I'm like, Francis, what, what are you, what does a hooker mean to you? He says, well, you know, the, the people that have the shops, the vendors on the street that have their shops, they're, they're going to try to hook you. And so they may want to show you a painting. They may want to show you a plate or a carving or something that you might want to buy for the family. And they're going to offer it to you two or three times more than what you should pay. And you shouldn't pay them that much. I'm glad we had that part of the conversation. I said, let me explain. Do you know what a hooker is in my country? And he just no idea. So I explained to him what a hooker is in my country. <laughs> and we ended up having a good laugh. It's a true story. So the point is, is that context is important to understanding interpretation and meaning. Yes? So Jeremiah 29.11 is not set in a context of all the God's people running around saying, everything is awesome. Everything is great when you're living part, when, you, when you're living the dream. You're going to be blessed and highly favored. Do you, do you know, read, read the book of Jeremiah, it's depressing. They, they call Jeremiah the weeping prophet and they call him the weeping prophet for a reason. 
His ministry happened during the worst time, the worst national crisis in the history of Israel. They had just been invaded by the Babylonians. Their homes had been razed to the ground and burned. Their friends, neighbors, maybe family members had been killed in the process. Their temple was completely destroyed. Their city was completely destroyed. And they were taken uh, off into captivity into Babylon where they would have to be... uh, uh, live in a, in a completely different culture, in a completely different setting, uh, basically as captives. And this was something that God prophesied that would happen to them. And listen to me, it happened a year after the revival that Josiah had in the nation. Most people don't realize that. Most people that want you to live and follow the law of God don't realize that the one time that Israel uh, uh, follows the law of God, it did not change anything in the national culture. You got to understand, it would be like today if all of a sudden all the morality that we've been pushing as a nation, see all these people saying God's going to judge America and God's going to pour out His wrath on America and, 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 and let's just suppose that we get a righteous president and, and there are, there, they, and he gets all the, the, the evangelicals around him and they tell him, if you want God to bless this country, here's what you have to do. And so, and we overturn Roe versus Wade and, and make abortion illegal and, and when we overturn the homosexual marriage and the whole nation comes back together and everybody starts coming to church and we throw all the Muslims out and we get rid of all the Satanists and, and, and we get rid of all the Buddhists and, and everybody, uh, starts doing what they're supposed to do, going to church on Sunday morning. That would be the situation very similar to what happened under Josiah's reign. Because they had completely lost the law of the Lord. They completely lost the book of Moses. Moses is not a prominent figure in Israel at all until after the exile. David and the kings are the prominent figures. You won't find Moses mentioned at all in the book of Judges. You won't find him mentioned hardly at all in the book of Kings or 1 Samuel or 2 Samuel and barely in the Psalms. And those were added later by the Deuteronomists, by the legalists. So here they had this national revival, and a year later, this invading army comes in, destroys everything, and carries them off into captivity. Now put yourself in that situation. You've been an evangelical, you've been praying for revival your entire life, it finally happens, and then a year later, all the judgment you've been telling everybody's going to happen, happens anyway. What's going to happen to your faith? What's going to happen to your belief? And so here they are, having lost everything, having lost all sense of connection with God, saying, I did everything I was supposed to do and it didn't work. I followed the plan of God and it didn't win. I didn't prosper. I thought it was God's plan for me to do this, but it's not prospering. So maybe it wasn't God's plan. Maybe it was. But for them, certainly, they thought they had followed the plan of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was the first time in their history that they had kept the Passover. The Bible tells us this. So they were following God's plan. They were following God's word. And this happens to them. And so in the midst of this, Jeremiah is trying to tell the people, he's saying, look, in the midst of this, know this. 
Know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and to give you a hope. And we never quote the second verse, the verse right after that. Jeremiah 29, 11, but then Jeremiah 29, 12 says this. Then you will come and you will pray to me. And you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Maybe that was part of the plan that we've missed. Maybe if God's plan in, 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 in the prospering isn't that everything goes right for you and everything is awesome. Maybe God's plan is simply that in the midst of whatever you're going through, you find Him. Maybe that's the prospering that Jeremiah was talking about. That fits the context of it better. Just like if my friend would have said vendor instead of hooker, I would have understood better what he was saying. <laughs> Even if he said, if you see an item, well, I don't know about that. If you see an item that you like, anyway, I'm trying to think about different ways he could have worded it. But anyway, never mind. Sorry. <laughs> my point is, if God didn't think about the end, Maybe there's some things in your... I'm not saying you didn't think about it, but I'm saying if, if that happened for them, maybe we need to look at how we're judging things. Because you can always focus on the stink. You can always focus on the poop. <laughs> you can always focus on the setback, and you can focus on the disappointment. But in the midst of that, and I love the way Luke tells it, because in the midst of their setbacks, in the midst of their disappointment, in the midst of all the poop... <laughs> The angels say, today there is born in Bethlehem a child which shall be for great joy to all the people. So I wonder how many times do we miss the joy in the midst of the caca? Is that okay? How many times do we focus on the setback or focus on the fact that there's no room in the end and we miss the new life that's being born right in front of us? Or maybe we miss the fact that we're still privileged enough to have His presence. <laughs> that it was in that place in Bethlehem. You see, you, you can't really reconcile it. Yeah. It's hard to reconcile Luke's account with Matthew's account. But in the way we tell the Christmas story, the wise men come bringing their gifts to Bethlehem. To where the star was. And maybe the star wasn't in the end. And maybe having to find another place to stay. Maybe having to find another option to follow in your life might be the place in spite of the setting where you say this is not the ideal setting for this. This is not the ideal timing for this. This is inconveniencing me. This is uncomfortable for me. But maybe it's in that place that you're going to find the presence of God. And maybe it's in that place where God has already uh, begun to draw provision into your life because it was the Magi who brought the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh, the blessing. Maybe what we perceive as a setback isn't a setback at all. Maybe it's a setup. But it depends a lot on how we're willing to look at things 
and how we're willing to shift our perspectives. Right? Now, when you're having a bad day, <laughs> no matter what, like with everything I've gone through in my life, and there's people who've gone through lots worse, I'm not, I'm, but I can only talk about my, myself and my own life experience. So I'm not comparing. But I'm just saying that I've had some really bad days. I, I've had some days where the only thing that got me out of bed, seriously, was Jeremiah 29, 11, that there's a better day out there somewhere. <laughs> there's a reason to get up. But as bad as my days have been, the world didn't end. (laughs) An asteroid didn't collide with the earth. I think sometimes we become a, 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 a people who chase blessing and miss the blessing that is... Yeah, that's already there. Say, well, if you obey, God will bless you. See, we say, because we're coming at it from the law... And we say, if you obey, God will bless you. If you don't obey, God will curse you. So you've got to obey for you to be blessed. But Jesus said that God blesses the just and the unjust. That he causes it to rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. David said in one of his psalms, Psalm 37, he said, Do not fret when you see the wicked prosper. So this idea that if we just obey and follow God, everything's going to go great is a false idea. It's a false concept. It's actually, if you don't see that, you don't see the gospel. Because Jesus completely overturns that model of life. Completely. Because he was the most obedient person who ever lived. And look how things worked out for him. And it even says in Isaiah 53, it says, it says he was a man of sorrows and he was familiar with grief and he was one like whom we hid our faces from. And then it says we esteemed him stricken of God and afflicted. In other words, we esteemed him as being abandoned by God because of his circumstances, because it was an ancient belief that went all the way back to the book of Job which we know to be the oldest book in the Bible. That if you live a righteous life, you're going to have a blessed life. If you live an unrighteous life, you're going to have a cursed life. And the gospel comes and overturns that because really for us the issue is really, I believe this more and more with all my heart. Listen, I'm I'm going to come back at some point and I'm going to teach faith. And I'm going to teach, you know, I believe the promises of God. I believe that God wants good things for our life. I think we should strive for those things. And I think there are ways that we can participate in healing. I think there are ways that we can participate in prosperity. I think there are ways that we can participate in forming the future so that there is a better day tomorrow than what we're having today. I believe that with all of my heart. But I do not believe a false concept that says that you can control everything in life with your tongue because you cannot. Or that if you just do everything right, you follow all the prescriptions, then you're just going to be blessed. Or that you're blessed for your obedience or cursed for your disobedience. I believe life happens. See, I believe actually that as believers, as sons and daughters of God, that maybe we're called to live on a higher plane. I think a lot of our pain in life comes because we expect that which is temporary to be eternal. We expect permanence in a world that does not have any. And so we try to hold on to permanence when it's not there because everything in this world is passing away. 
So what if the Christian life, what if victory is not everything is awesome all the time, so everything is always working out? What if victory is simply the ability to transcend whatever is going on in your life at the time? To be able to transcend it in such a way that you can find the blessing in the midst of the poop. You can find the new life that is being born in the midst of the obstacles. And you can look at setbacks and say, I know somewhere in here there is a setup. But even if the setup doesn't show up, I'm going to be okay. Because I am connected to something greater than myself. And I am connected to something that is greater than blessing. And I am connected to something that is greater than whatever trial or tribulation or stinky thing I'm having to walk through in my life right now. I'm connected to something that is absolutely eternal. And that's what gives me hope. And that's what gives me a future. And that's what gives me value. And that's what gives me worth. And maybe I can stop judging my situation by how I thought it was supposed to turn out and didn't turn out. And so I'm making myself unhappy. And I can stop judging everybody else by their imperfections and being unhappy with everybody else because everybody's not doing what they should and what they're supposed to. Get a life. Grow up. Life does not work like that. <laughs> so the issue becomes, you know, when, when, when there's no room for you in the end, if you expect everything to be awesome, there's going to be the temptation to pack up and go home. And that is not living a life that is worthy of your redemption, of your salvation, of your connection with all that is eternal and the one who forever is the source of every good and every perfect gift. Amen? So sometimes it's just helpful to realize everything's not awesome. You were never promised that everything was going to be awesome. And if there was no place for Mary in the end, it doesn't mean you fell out of the plan of God for your life. Amen? Let's stand up. I want to invite you to shift your focus. Shift your focus. We have a tendency, some of us, I do, I do this. We have a tendency to focus on what's wrong with our life. We have a tendency to focus on what we don't like. With our job, our family situation, our church, whatever the case may be. So I invite you today to just shift your focus. (laughs) You know? What is it, not in the future, because part of the problem, too, is we start looking for a future that never shows up. We spend our whole life missing the moments that are in front of us, waiting on a future that never arrives. Saying, God's got a plan. God's got a plan. God's got a plan. (laughs) Perhaps what you're living in today 
was God's plan last year. Maybe last year when you were saying God has a future and a hope. Well, here it is. (laughs) Maybe yesterday when you were saying God has a future and a hope. Well, here it is. Doesn't mean everything that happened in your life was God's plan. You know, I don't believe that. But this is it. This is your life, baby. You get one shot. And you got a choice, like all of us. You can focus on the blessing. And maybe it's just as simple as, hey, the, sun can, the earth didn't get destroyed by a meteor. The sun came up this morning. I can breathe. I've got family. I've got healthy kids. Whatever. But doing it until a feeling begins to change inside. Until you can begin to experience the joy of what God's doing. Over and above the misery of what you thought He was supposed to be doing. Oh, I need to say that one more time. That was really good, Pastor Aaron. Amen. Don't miss the joy of what God's doing because you're focused on what you thought God was supposed to be doing. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person that's here. Thank you for your sweet presence in here today. Thank you for our connection with you, for our connection with one another. And Father, I pray this morning that for those of us that may be struggling to get up in the morning, that something would shift, that something would move over our hearts, over our minds. Lord, even if nothing changes in our circumstances, even if our circumstances get worse, would you allow the wind of your Spirit to blow away the clouds in our heart, to blow away the storms inside our minds, and would you cause a ray of hope and a ray of sunshine to explode on the inside. And Father, I pray for your people that everyone would walk out of here edified. Everyone would walk out of here strengthened. Everyone would walk out of here encouraged, knowing that they are connected to eternal power and to eternal wisdom and to eternal goodness and to eternal love. And Father, may we go out and manifest not the life we're supposed to live, but may we go out and manifest the reality of who we are as sons and daughters of God. Father, would you let the power of God move over our hearts, move over our minds, move over our physical bodies right now and release the glory and the wonder and the awe of who you are inside of us and who we are as sons and daughters of God and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. Father, I speak that blessing over every person in the sound of my voice and I give you thanks that you are a good God and I thank you that you do only good and that you take everything in our life and you work it together for our good because that's who you are and we love you and we worship you and we honor you and we exalt you because of who you are and that reason alone in Jesus name. God bless you. We love you. Have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful week.